been a wonderful time for Wendy and for me. We've so enjoyed our time with you. You've made us feel so welcome. You know, preaching is a kind of two-way business. You, uh, you speak, but you're received. And uh, the way you're received makes it so much easier to preach. And you're very easy to preach to. Uh, you're tremendous people. I really enjoyed uh, the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you. Uh, I've appreciated it so much. It's been a joy to meet Mark in recent years, and it's a delight to be with you in your church and to sense what God's doing amongst you. I realize that there are congregations and congregations. There are people on a journey and living for Jesus, and I'm very aware I'm not just coming to a static uh, congregation, but a body of disciples that want to glorify God, and it's a great, great pleasure to minister to you. I've been enjoying speaking about grace, and I felt yesterday, I was praying about this last session, I felt God said to me to preach about receiving the Holy Spirit, and uh, I wanted to speak about that this evening. So we're going to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read a few verses from verse 4 through to um, verse 9 probably, okay? Acts chapter 1, verse 4, gathering them together He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Father, thank you so much for these words of our Lord Jesus, these wonderful promises that he made to just human flesh, those who'd followed you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. You made this incredible promise. And we bless you, Lord. It's not irrelevant to us here tonight. You want to be amongst us. We thank you that you want to give us the Holy Spirit. And we say, Lord, come right now. Holy Spirit, come and own the word. Speak to us, quicken faith, and meet with us, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, some have said that the eighth verse is the kind of key to the understanding of the book of Acts. You should receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What do I mean? Well, if you read the Gospels, you won't be very impressed by these guys who are with Jesus. They get it wrong, they don't understand, they blunder uh, again and again. And yet within a few chapters, it says, these men have come here who are turning the world upside down. How come that these guys turn the world upside down? How much? How come they have such incredible impact where in the three years they're not doing so well? Well, Jesus said this, you wait until you receive power from on high. It's going to change you. This word dunamis, this Greek word from which we get dynamite, you're going to get dynamic power. It's going to transform you. You're going to change your impact. You're going to be like new people. Something will happen to you when the Spirit comes upon you. 
Now, that wouldn't have been a completely uh, unknown thought to them. These are Jewish guys. They've got the Old Testament Bibles. They, they would have known about how the Spirit came upon people, how the Spirit came upon the judges, men like Gideon, who were fearful, hidden away. The Spirit of God came upon him. It says clothed him. The Spirit clothed him with power. He became a transformed guy. We read about how the Spirit came upon David. Samuel anointed David with oil. The Spirit came upon him. We read about Moses and how he was told, lay hands on Joshua so that the Holy Spirit can be upon Joshua. These select leaders in the Old Testament were empowered people. The Spirit came upon them, sometimes very dramatically, and they were transformed. So when Jesus said, this is going to happen, well, we've got this Old Testament to think about. We think about Elisha, when he was told by Elijah, you're going to continue the ministry I began. You're the chosen one. And Elisha said, well, hey, if I'm going to have the same ministry, I need the same power. I need the same power. And he wouldn't let Elijah go. He pursued him, pursued him, pursued him, until in the end, Elijah said, okay, okay, if you see me taken up, then you'll receive power. And he clings to Elijah. And there comes that moment when Elijah is taken and Elisha receives power. Where is the power of the spirit of Elijah? And he hits the Jordan, opens up, and his whole life is an empowered ministry. So we see these guys. We see sometimes when, when Moses was growing weary of leading this whole nation, two million people, people lining up to see him, he said, Lord, help. And God said, okay, okay. Choose 70 leaders from among the people. And 70 were chosen and presented themselves. And God said, I'll take some of the spirit that's upon you and place it on the 70. Don't you remember that old story? And the 70 waited and it said, the spirit came upon them and they prophesied. It was this manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence that took them into another dimension. So this is the Old Testament's full of this. Now, in the Old Testament, it tends to be very isolated characters. Kings, prophets, judges, the judges in particular, because some kings were the son of a previous king. The judges, the thing that distinguished them was the Spirit was upon them. Upon Samuel, I beg pardon, on Samson, upon Gideon, the Spirit came upon them. That's what marked them out. They were empowered people. Then you get this wonderful promise in Isaiah which speaks about when the Spirit is poured out from on high. That's a new thought. The Spirit poured out from on high. And then Joel says this, In the last days, says the Lord, I'll pour my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. There's going to be a, a widespread outpouring of the Spirit. That's the promise of God. There's a day coming when there's going to come an outpouring of the Spirit. That not just these isolated people who have phenomenal experiences of the Spirit, it's going to become widespread. Many will receive the Spirit. That's the promise that God has wrapped up. It's going to happen. So it's interesting that when John the Baptist introduces Jesus, and it's referred to in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's even repeated here at the beginning of Acts, that when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist said this. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus walked in. He's the, he's the Lamb. We've had all these Old Testament lambs. 
that have been slaughtered at Passover and other times, Day of Atonement, here's the ultimate Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin. But also, I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is introduced as the one who's going to usher in this age, what Paul will later call the dispensation of the Spirit, the age of the Spirit. It begins with the coming of Jesus, and it begins particularly in the days that follow, as we're going to see. So here we have this promise. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And these ineffective followers of Jesus become suddenly very effective. Now for us, we think, where do we fit in this story? I remember for myself, about 22 years of age, and I've, I've come back to God wholeheartedly, and I want to serve Him. I, I, want, to, I want to do better. I want to, I want to make Him known. And very often I feel this, I miss opportunities to witness. And my old Baptist pastor used to preach this, are you like Peter before Pentecost or Peter after Pentecost? We didn't have to preach it much because I knew what I was. I was like Peter before Pentecost. I was often missing opportunities to witness. And I longed to witness. I longed to make Jesus known. And I felt such limitation. I wasn't really making impact. And I thought, Lord, is it possible? Is it possible for me to be changed from this very ineffective follower into one who's more effective? Can can I be transformed? Is this story relevant to me? You'll receive power. Is that possible for me? And I, and I began to read various different books and, and try and find answers. And I, and I found that some uh, evangelical brothers would say, no, no, to be honest, there is no more. When you're converted, you're converted. You, you receive the Holy Spirit. You become a Christian. That's the end of the story. Uh, you know, you could grow in grace, but uh, that's it. Essentially, that's it. Men like John Stott, who I esteem so greatly, that's what he would say. And then you read Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another great teacher who I would esteem so highly. And he said, no, no, you need to receive power. You need to go after God. He'll give you power. And I thought, oh boy, these two guys don't agree. There's no hope I'm going to find out. If they, if they can't agree, how am I going to work it out? And so I kind of just thought, oh, I can't even work it through. And, th- and there seemed to be another line of teaching that said, uh, well, it's often called the Keswick teaching. And the Keswick teaching was... Uh, like when you surrender, you may make Jesus your savior, and then later you might make him your Lord. You kind of surrender. The word surrender you'll find often in Keswick sermons, especially of the early days of the Keswick Convention. You surrender. You'll find the illustration, empty the glass and he'll fill it. And that's that, that kind of happens later. So I'm thinking, which, which is true? Which is relevant to me? Well, I believe the Bible does make it clear. And I think that sometimes there's a one further category, and I would say they were the Pentecostals. I'm going back many years, I'm looking from outside, I'm saying which is true, and the Pentecostals seem to be saying this, you wait until you speak in tongues, then you got it. I thought, oh gosh, which one of these is right? Which is right? So I'd like to look in the book of Acts with you tonight and see if we can find a pattern, see if we can find something that stands up, oh wow, there's the pattern, there's the pattern for us to follow. Because it's so helpful, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So when we hear with faith, it says in Galatians chapter 3, we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. When we've received, when we've received faith, oh I see, we can come and take, even tonight, 
Even tonight at the end of the meeting, if you say, well, I've never been filled with the Spirit, you can receive tonight. You can come and drink, come and receive. But we need to see how and why and what is the Bible actually saying about it, that we might receive this wonderful promise. You see, if you follow the disciples and just see what happened to them, it's quite confusing because they believed in Jesus before the cross. They believed in Jesus before the resurrection. They believed in Jesus before Pentecost and so on. And Jesus said in John 15, you are clean through the word I've spoken to. You think, well, the cross hasn't happened yet. How can they be clean? I don't quite understand this. So it's quite difficult to build a case from those guys. But what happened to people who became Christians when all those events had taken place? Cross, resurrection, day of Pentecost, what happened to those? I believe we can see a pattern as we look at some of those. I'm going to take you very quickly, just look at some of the mountaintops, not the whole story, just a few places. So in chapter 8, for instance, Acts chapter 8, you read this, that Philip, an evangelist, he went to Samaria and preached. And so it says in verse 12 of Acts chapter 8, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he continued with Philip. As he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what's the testimony of these guys? Their testimony is this. I heard the gospel through Philip. I believed He's preaching about Jesus and the kingdom of God. They receive the word. They are baptized. They have become Christians. Philip wasn't going to baptize non-Christians. These are now Christians. They're baptized. Then the word gets back to Jerusalem. These people have received the word of God. The kingdom of God's breaking out. So Peter and John come up. So there's probably a delay of a few days while the news gets down to Jerusalem and they make the journey up a few days and they say, oh, well, the Spirit hasn't fallen upon them yet. So we just read it. They lay hands upon them, and the Spirit falls upon them. Their testimony, I was saved when Philip preached. I was filled with the Spirit when they laid hands on me. It's a separate day. It's a separate event, okay? Turn over the page to Acts chapter 9. You find the Apostle Paul on the journey to Damascus, the most famous conversion in the New Testament, when he goes along, the God of glory appeared to Paul. The God who commanded light to shine in the darkness shone into his heart, giving him the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what he says later. That was his experience. He met God. He got saved on that Damascus road. Then we read this in verse 17 of Acts 9. Ananias who we don't even know who he was, actually. He's not referred to before this or after this. It's the only place he's referred to. So 
In Samaria, it was apostles who laid hands. Here, it's an unknown guy who lays hands. Ananias came, entered the house, verse 17, after laying hands on him, said, Brother Saul, he's a Christian brother now, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me that you may regain your sight, yes, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Saul was saved three days earlier. If we had time to read the whole passage, you'll see it's a three-day delay. Ananias comes and lays hands on him, and he receives the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no reference to speaking in tongues, either in Samaria or here, though Paul later says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. We'll come back to some of those features later on. One more, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Here's, I think, a very interesting one. Paul comes to a place called Ephesus. In verse 2, no, sorry, verse 1, he came to Ephesus and found some disciples, it says in verse 1. Now, normally, when we see the word disciples, we take it they're going to be Christians. But actually, you'll find in Acts, there are disciples of the Pharisees, there are disciples of John the Baptist, and what becomes clear as you look at this is they're not actually Christians yet. It looks like Paul thought they were, but they're not, which just comes out plainly in the passage. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. What does that mean? Well, John the Baptist was an amazing prophet. It says in the Gospels, all Judea went out to hear John the Baptist. That's a lot of people. They all went out to hear him. He's preaching in the wilderness. He's baptizing loads and loads of people. And obviously, his message had reached this far. So when Paul begins to inquire, actually, all they've been baptized with is John's message, which was what? Repent. Get ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. That was his message. He is a preparatory message. He's get ready message, because Jesus is coming soon. That's his message. So it's not what we would call the gospel. So verse 4, Paul says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who's coming after him. That is Jesus. And obviously these, these reports are much more condensed. It's not a full thing. This is condensing it. When they heard this, when they heard all about Jesus, when Paul told them all about Jesus, oh, I see, Jesus, and the full message about Jesus. He died, he rose from the dead, etc. When they heard this, they're baptized in the name of Jesus. Ah, now they become Christians. Now they come to Jesus. But then notice this. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So it's a bit like the story of Samaria, except it's not with a few days in between, it's just a few moments in between. They've come to Jesus when Paul tells them the complete story. He baptizes them because they're now believers. Then he lays hands on them and the Spirit comes upon them. They speak in tongues and prophesy. It's all happened in one day, but kind of in stages. So let's go back to what I said at the beginning. I'm saying, is there more for me? Can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
because I'm desperate to know more. And I'm reading this book and that book and another book. And some are saying, no, no, when you're a Christian, you've got everything. That's, that's all there is to it. You can grow in grace, but you've essentially got it. Don't start looking for something else. That's what some would say. But here, these people would say, well, actually, my testimony was I was saved that day, then the Spirit came on me later. That would be their testimony. Now, let me just say this before I go any further. The Holy Spirit is described as wind and fire and water. You can't contain all these things, all right? So sometimes the Spirit will do things, you think, wow, how did that happen? In Cornelius' house, it says Peter was only just preaching. The Holy Spirit comes, breaks all the rules. You can't tie him down, all right? So all I'm trying to say, look, here are some principles we can see, but he might break his principles because he's like wind. And Jesus says the wind blows where it will. But we can see a pattern here. And we can see this, that when some say, no, 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 when you're converted, that's it. There is no more. Well, I'm afraid these guys would say, well, for me there was. The Samaritans would say, well, for me there was. There was more. The Apostle Paul would say, well, it was for me when Ananias laid hands on me. There was more for me. There was more. And so the teaching that says, no, there is no more, doesn't stand up to what the Bible says. It doesn't stand up because there's these cases where there is more. And so you have to say, okay, that, that's, uh, that, that's, that's interesting. Then you get what I call the Keswick teaching. And the kind of Keswick teaching is, right, you know, make Jesus your saviour, and then later in life you make him your Lord. You kind of surrender in a way you didn't before. Now, I don't mean that it's not a valid experience. I think many of us would say we have different experiences, like, now make you Lord, but that's not described as being filled with the Spirit in the Bible. I think, and I think I had done that. I said, Lord, I want you to be my Lord, but I still didn't feel I had power. Yes. I mean, I, for me, it, it came to a kind of crisis when I, I, I'd longed to serve God, and I felt I kept on missing opportunities. I remember one Sunday, vividly, I was, I was making some progress, I felt. I actually, I began to lead a little Bible study in the church. Uh, and we used to do Sunday morning and evening, the Baptist church I went to. And I lived in a coastal town, Brighton, by the sea. And uh, on a Sunday afternoon, we had some time to kill. And it was a nice summer's day. And on this particular day, I, I thought, well, I'll go for a walk. I'm waiting for the evening meeting. And I, I walked along the seafront into Brighton. And, and there were two promenades in Brighton. There's an upper promenade and a lower promenade. And on a sun, sunny day, you get literally thousands of people walking along there thousands of people. And I'm walking along in the crowd, and as I come along, I see there's a big, a big crowd. And I thought, what's going on? And I, and I get closer, and I get closer, and there's some very frail elderly ladies holding up banners and trying to preach the gospel and trying to sing. And it's all rather embarrassing. And it's kind of think, Lord, this is awful. What's this all about? This is terrible. I don't, this is not impressive, Lord. And I felt God said to me, well, actually, in the Bible, I called young men to do this. What about you? I thought, no, no, not on your life. I'm not doing that. That was typical of me. I'm not going to witness. And, and, I, and then I, in front of me, there's two guys. I remember it so vividly. And one turned to the other and said, look at those old fools. Why don't they keep their religion in church? And I felt, well, at least talk to these guys. You may not be called to preach in the open air, but at least tell them. And I'm, once again, I couldn't. 
I thought, oh God, I, again, I ducked it. I just, I was useless witness. And for me, that was like, God, I've got to get the answer. You know, I was getting confused one book and that book, but I thought, I've got to find the answer to this. And, and I had a friend in London who I, I used to work in London. I traveled to London every day. And, and the next Monday, I went, and the next day, I called him up in the morning. Can I have lunch with you? Yeah, sure, sure. I met with him. I said, look, because he was so different to me. If we went and had a lunch somewhere in a cafe or something, if I was a little late, he's always witnessing. I was talking to people about Jesus. And I thought, oh, wow, if only, if only. So I said to him, what is the deal with you? And he said, oh, I've been baptized the Holy Spirit. I said, can I have that? He said, yeah, yeah, come to our church next Sunday. Because I, I suddenly became so thirsty. I, I wanted to break through. I wanted to get the answer to this. I wanted, Lord, I, because I, I'm not just curious about it. And to be honest, the so-called charismatic movement hadn't even started. There was no charismatic movement. I'm going back a long time. I just wanted power to witness. I wasn't, didn't want to join the charismatic movement, whatever that might become. I just wanted power to witness, like it says in the Bible. And I'm desperate for this. And is there more for me? Well, some people say, no, there is no more for you. Oh, gosh, I wish there was. But some of these people who say, no, there is no more, you say to them, well, are you full of the Spirit then? If you say there's no more, are you, are you saying you're full of the Spirit? And most of them will say, well, I'm not saying I'm full of the Spirit. I'm kind of gradually growing toward that. But with these guys in Acts 19, Paul says, have you received the Spirit? No. What are you talking about? He lays hands on them. The Spirit falls upon them. They're speaking in tongues and prophesying. I think if you then ask them, have you received the Spirit? I think they'd say, yeah. <laughs> it's not like we're gradually growing. They say, yes, we have. We've received the Spirit. And so I thought, is there more for me? Can I experience something as I'm desperate to get the answer? Now, some would say this, the Pentecostals, it seemed, it may not be the case anymore, I don't know. But when I was searching, it was these categories, you've already got it, maybe the Keswick thing, you can have a later crisis, but it doesn't kind of fit in the Bible. Or, day of Pentecost, you wait, you wait. I actually met a guy who was a Pentecostal who said, I've been waiting for 13 years going to what they call tarrying meetings. You must tarry and wait. But do you notice this? In the stories, the only people who were told to wait were the apostles. No one else was told to wait. So what's the key? What's the, why, why did Ananias say to Paul, okay, Paul, you're going to be an apostle one day. You better find an upper room somewhere. Go and wait. He didn't. He just laid hands on him. Spirit came upon him. Just came and when, when, when Philip led these, people, these Samaritans to Christ and the apostles came and said, well, you haven't received the Spirit. You better go and find a room and wait somewhere. Okay. No, they just laid hands on them. The Spirit fell upon them. In Acts 19, they're still wet with baptismal water. They're dripping. They just become Christians. They're not told, go and wait. Paul laid hands on them. The Spirit came upon them. So what, what, what's the difference then? What's the difference? I think the Pentecostals were looking just at the day of Pentecost. We look at the rest of Acts, you see there's a different pattern. That's why I've taken you through the book of Acts. So what's the key? Why, why did they have to wait? Would you like to turn to John 7 
And we begin to build this final case here. John 7 and verse 37. I believe this is the key. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, so if you're there on that day, and it was on the great day of the feast when they used to pour out water, celebrating the journey through the wilderness when God provided supernaturally for them, and this is happening, and Jesus pushes through the crowd and shouts out, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. And if you push through the thirst, say, yes, me, I'm ready, I'm ready. Jesus would have said, not yet. That's what it says. The Spirit was not yet given. Why? Because they're not ready? Because they're not holy enough? Because they haven't prayed long enough? No, no, no. Nothing to do with them. It's important we understand this. Nothing to do with them. The Spirit was not yet given because why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So it's a prophetic statement. If anyone's thirsty, come to me, but actually it's not yet. That's why the apostles had to wait. It's not yet. But after the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached this. He said, this Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised up, whereof we're witnesses. He now, exalted at the right hand of God, has shed forth this which you can see in here. In other words, he is now glorified. The Spirit is now poured out. The Spirit is now available. From that time on, no one was ever told, wait. No one was ever told, just lay hands on people. Because the Spirit's now available. Here in Acts 19, he leads them to Christ. He baptizes them. They're now believers. Lays hands on them. The Spirit fell upon them. The Spirit fell upon them. He's now available. We don't have to wait. We just come and drink. The only, the only qualification is this, if anyone's thirsty. It doesn't say, if anyone's really specially holy. If anyone's really fasted and prayed. It doesn't say that. It just says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Let him come to me. I remember once there was a couple in my church, and uh, they said, could you come around to our home and tell us about receiving the Spirit? I said, yes, I'd love to. I went around, and, I, and, I, and I'm explaining it. We're going through it quite a bit. I'm going through quite a lot of it, and, I, and I'm teaching it. And then the, the guy says to his wife, would you get us a coffee, darling? She said, yes, of course. She went into the kitchen. Then we suddenly hear, wow, it's wonderful. And she's not talking about the coffee. She ran, she ran back in. She, said, she got filled with the Spirit because she'd heard enough. She'd heard, and I'd never got even to lay hands on her. She'd heard enough. It's like Cornelius' home. They'd heard enough. The Spirit fell upon them. The Spirit fell upon them. It's important for us to understand. We just have to come and drink and receive. The Spirit comes upon us. I was at a conference in the States once, and uh, a guy was asking me in the interval. He said, something you said during your preach... And I wasn't speaking on this theme. I don't know what I said, something I'd said. And he said to me, um, when you spoke, you seem to be indicating that you can receive the Spirit 
after conversion. I said, yeah, I believe that. He said, tell me about it. So we sat there for a little while, and I just took him through scriptures, maybe a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes, just opening up the scriptures. And he said, wow, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that before. He said, would you pray for me now? I said, I'd love to. I laid hands on him. He received the Spirit. He's speaking in tongues, glorifying Jesus. And the guy was hosting the conference said to me, what were you doing with that guy? I said, I said he wanted to be filled with the Spirit. He said, oh, that's wonderful. He said, he's a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> and then in the same conference, a lady came up to me. She said, I saw your book in the bookshop. I said, yeah. And she said, I noticed you saying it. You were saved one time. You were filled with the Spirit some years later. I said, I said, yeah, that's right. She said, I don't believe in that. So I said, oh, God bless you. She said, no, she said, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe in that. So I said, no, fine. Hallelujah. God be with you. You know, that's okay. Up to you. And she kept on at me. And then she said, will you pray for me? And I said, no, I won't. No, she said, no, no, you pray for me. I said, no, I'm not going to pray for you. Why not? I said, you don't believe it. You expect me to wave a wand over you. You wanted me to do something? No, you don't believe in it. I'm not going to pray for you. So we left it. See, it's important that we believe what God says is true. We come and receive the promise of the Father. What a name for the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. That's what it's called, the promise of the Father. Come and drink. Now we can come and drink because Jesus is now glorified. We can come and receive now. It can happen now, tonight can happen. Now, for me, I mentioned what happened to me, because I know we have difficulties, and I did. I had difficulties. I've never seen all this before. It's also new to me. Uh, and I went to this guy's church on the Sunday, and they said, you're, you're lucky, because there's a special guy from the States speaking here today. And so there'll be a meeting this afternoon. He'll come and lay hands on you. So I thought, oh, great. I mean, I'm thirsty. I'm coming. Uh, and the guy came into the room, and he's laying hands on people. And he comes to me, and I think I've made a big mistake. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. And in that moment, I wasn't really looking to Jesus. I'm looking to this guy from America. And I think he's going to do it to me. So I'm looking, oh, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. Lays his hands on my head. Guess what I felt? Hands on my head. That was it. So he prays some prayer, and he's gone. I thought, what was that? I came, and my friend said, well, thank the Lord. Well, thank the Lord for what? And I got my eyes off Jesus. I thought, this guy's going to do it for me. Jesus said, come to me and drink. So I was quite a difficult character. I think it helped me, because I've prayed for hundreds of people since, and it's good to have been difficult yourself. You can be merciful to others. And, and, and I said, well, why? They said, just praise the Lord. I said, why would I do that? I argued with them. They said, no, just begin to praise him, begin to worship him, begin to thank him. And the big guy's gone now. These are my friends, my contemporaries, guys in their early 20s like me. They said, come on. They brought me back to the promises. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. They just reminded one promise after another, one promise after I thought, yeah, he does promise. He is the promise of the Father. He will give the Spirit. He did say, come and drink. And I'm gradually, gradually getting into the place. Okay, I see. Okay, okay. Let's pray again. 
So my friends pray and I come to Jesus. And I just say, Lord, I come to receive the Spirit. And they said, well, praise him now. I said, oh, what about? No, just praise him. Praise him in new tongues. How do you do that? Just do it. Just do it. So I began to do it. And I stopped. I said, oh, no, I'm just making that up. I say this because lots of people go through this. I'm just making this up. And then, and then I, I stopped. And, and they came back and said, come on. Uh, you know you've come all this way. And they were very patient with me. You know, the promises, they come again. Let's just receive. Shall we just receive? So I asked, Lord, please give me the Holy Spirit. Now, come on, let's just praise him. And I began to praise him. And I began to speak out in tongues. And my friend, my friend's fiance said, you're very clever making this all up. <laughs> and I laughed like you do. I just laughed. And all the tension went. And I just began to speak out. And I felt like this whoosh go through my soul. Abba, Father, I've never known you so close. I've been a believer for probably about five or six years by then. I've never known him so close. And then there was a meeting that followed this. Uh, and I went into the back of quite a large church building. They were mostly sitting at the front. And I sat at the back and right through the service, with my hand over my face, I kept speaking in tongues right through the service. I didn't want to stop. So at the beginning, I thought, I'm making this up. As it went on, no, 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 I could feel like rivers flowing from my innermost being. God's doing this for me. He's setting me free. My life was phenomenally affected. God did this for me. And the privilege of going back. I went back to my Baptist church, and I had a beautiful relationship with the pastor. He was a lovely man, godly, godly man, terrific preacher, great man of prayer. And uh, we, we went on a 20s weekend, and we used to do this every year, and we're staying in some conference center place, and on the Saturday afternoon, it says, we go for a walk on the program. Well, it's pouring with rain, it's England, isn't it? It's raining, and so he said, oh, forget, we're not going for a walk. He said, let's have a spontaneous meeting. So we're all sitting around on the floor, and on settees and stuff, and he said, right, we're going to have a spontaneous conversation. Then he pointed at me. He said, Terry, something's happened to you. What's happened to you? I thought, wow, gosh. I've been praying for opportunity to witness. I'm trying not to be a problem. I thought, oh, God, help, help, help. So I said, well, I've been to the Pentecostals. They laid hands on me. I speak in tongues. <laughs> it wasn't quite like that. I told it very carefully. And when I finished, it was like, hush. Wow, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen? And the pastor spoke up. He said, you must lay hands on all these young people, and I'll come at the end of the queue. And this is a humble guy. He's in his early 60s by then. Led a great church, about 800 members in England at that time. It was a big church. He said, you, and I had the joy and privilege in the next few weeks lay hands on lots of those young people. And then in the, it, on a Sunday afternoon, we all went down to that seafront where these elderly ladies have been. And we got there, a gang of us young people, and girls started playing guitars. I stood on a soapbox, and I preached the gospel. I thought, Lord, what have you done? You set me free. You set me free. You set us free. God did it by his spirit. God did it by his spirit. He came to release and empower. The promise is to you. That's what Peter said. 
on the day of Pentecost. The promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far, to as many as the Lord our God shall call. He said, well, I've been called. Well, the promise is to you then. The promise of the Spirit. What do I have to do? If anyone's thirsty, that's all. We thirsty? Come to him and drink. Come to him. Now, we've seen laying on of hands is often there. Not always. Cornelius' is home. Nobody laid on hands there. But there Pentecost, nobody laid on hands. But often it's the laying on of hands. I had a letter from a guy, an email from an American pastor not so long ago. And he said, uh, I heard one of your guys speak. He referred to a book you've written. And I listened to a, a tape of your talk about receiving the Spirit. You mentioned laying on of hands. He said, and he wrote me this email. I'd never met the guy. And uh, he said, so it's, I'm preaching tomorrow. He's a pastor. I'm preaching tomorrow, Saturday night. And I'm saying, Lord, Terry says, I have to have the laying on of hands. Lord, there's no hands here. He said, he said, my wife's gone to bed, Saturday night late. He said, I said to God, Lord, would you lay hands on me digitally? He said, <laughs> so he said, I prayed. He said, I prayed for a while. He said, I went to bed. He said, I said my wife's asleep. He said, I feel this holy joy bubbling up in me. I feel this joy bubbling up. And then he says in this email, holy cow, I'm speaking in tongues. <laughs> Can we Skype? Can you tell me some more about this? The Holy Spirit's available. We can just come, come and drink, come and take, come and receive. It's available, it's free. One, I had led a girl to Christ in our morning meeting some while back, and uh, as, as she just received Jesus, it was lovely. And as the meeting's ending, she said, is there more? I said, why are you asking? She said, there's power in this meeting. Is there more? I said, actually, there is. Well, tell me. And we had to leave the building. And uh, so I said, well, come to my home next weekend. So next weekend, she turns up, and she brought with her her roommate. She's a student at the local university. And she brought her roommate, and her roommate said, Celia is so changed since last weekend. She says she's become a Christian. I'd like to become a Christian. So I had the joy of leading her to Christ. So, so Celia says, like, don't forget, hey, hey, don't forget, you said there's more. What's the more bit? So then we go through the scriptures. I'd always want to go through the scriptures. I don't want to just wave a wand over people. Go through the scriptures. What are we expecting? Why do we expect it? So we went through the scriptures. So Celia says, well, I'm ready for this. She's been saved six days. I'm ready for this. About to pray. The other girl says, what about me? She's been saved 20 minutes. So I laid hands on both of them. They both received the Spirit. They both started speaking in tongues. They went very happily on their way. You say, are they worthy? Yeah, they're believers. The promise is to us. It's not because you're very special. See, sometimes you have people come to be prayed for, and you go to pray for them, and even just before you pray, they start crying. I've had this experience over the years. Oh, I don't think I'm worthy. Well, let's just say this straight away. You're not. None of us is worthy. Simon Peter, just before he was filled with the Spirit, cursed and swore and said, I do not know Jesus. I'm not with him. Forget it. No, I'm not with him. Oh, so worthy of the Spirit. No, he's a mess. He's a mess. He's useless. He's not worthy. We don't come to receive because we're worthy. It's not a reward for good works. It's a gift for useless people. 
It's a gift for useless people. He, come, he wants to give us the Spirit freely. Okay? So if anyone's thirsty, we'd love to pray for you. It's the promise of God. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. Just one more thing about tongues. Not because it's the most important thing, but just to help get it clear. Speaking in tongues is something we do. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, I will pray with the understanding. I will pray with the Spirit. He's talking about speaking in tongues. I will do it. We do it. We do it. It doesn't, it doesn't happen to us. It would be very scary if it happened to us. Well, what's happening to me? No, you do it. You do it. It's a bit like the story in the Old Testament where the woman was told, she said, I'm running out of oil. So Elisha said to her, collect as many vessels as you can. So she collects as many vessels as she can. And then Elisha says, pour out into the other vessels. Remember that story? Fill up these empty vessels. And, and she doesn't put it down in the middle and say, come on, come on, jump up. Here you go, oil, go oil, go, go oil, go oil, come on, oil. No, 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 this, it's not, the miracle wasn't that it started. Here's the miracle, it didn't stop. She poured what she got. The miracle was this, it didn't stop. And speaking in tongues is like that. You begin to speak. I guess she would have thought, if I do, this little bit of oil will go from this vessel to this vessel. What a waste of time. No, she believed. She began to pour. And as she began to pour, it kept coming. That's what speaking in tongues is like. We just begin to speak. And the Bible says this, your mind is unfruitful. In other words, you don't understand what you're saying. It's a language, your spirit, it says in 1 Corinthians, my spirit is praying mysteries to God. So it says, I'm speaking mysteries to God. My, it's bypassing my mind. There's an old-fashioned hymn by Wesley, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. What's he saying? He said, I wish I, had a thousand, I, wish I could bypass the limitation." You can sometimes pray with people and say, Lord, you know what, I don't know how to express it. You know what I want to say, but I, I don't know how to put it. God's given us a gift that bypasses all the limitation of my speech and lets my spirit speak. My spirit speaks. And we just begin to speak by faith. You, you just begin to pour. You come, which we can do in a moment if you like. We lay hands on people, we come and we drink, we receive we begin to speak. Maybe one last illustration. Simon Peter's on the boat. He sees Jesus walking on the waves. He says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter got right out to just a hand's distance from, from to Jesus. He walked on the water. He walked on the water. How do you do that? Well, you use your normal walking apparatus. You see, you, you, you do, you walk. But you come to the end of the boat, and here it goes. You walk on water. You use your normal walking apparatus. He didn't sit there saying, any minute now. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Was that? No, that wasn't it. Oh, is that it? No, that's not it. 
He didn't do that. Will it happen any minute now? Any minute I'm going to walk on. No, no, it doesn't work like that. You start walking. You walk. And he said, wow, I can walk on water. And if he kept his eyes on Jesus, he'd have been going for ages. He walked. And when you speak in tongues, you use your normal speaking apparatus. Your breathing, your vocal cords, your tongue, teeth, and lips, you speak. You don't wait. Mm, wonder what's going to happen in a minute. No, you do it. You do it. You do it. The miracle is it keeps coming. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. Wow, it's coming. My spirit is praying. My spirit's pouring out worship. My spirit's pouring out love to Jesus. I prayed for one lady. She said, oh, I'm a bit nervous. I'm a bit nervous. I said, hmm, funny. Some people start singing usually, occasionally. She said, why didn't you say that before? I said, well, I didn't. And she started singing in tongues. Just started. You just had to start. We come to drink. We come to receive. Because Jesus said the promises to us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Changed my whole experience of God. The intimacy, the nearness. Abba, Father, you're on the inside in a way I never knew you before. And then when different other ones of my friends got filled with the Spirit, hey, all sorts of things started happening. Speaking in tongues, interpreting, prophesying. Wow, a whole new world starts opening up. The charismatic movement began. More and more people started getting filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants us filled with the Spirit. Every time someone's filled with the Spirit, it's proof that Jesus of Nazareth is not lying in some tomb in the Middle East. Dead messiahs cannot give the Holy Spirit to anybody. It's proof he's alive. Only resurrected, ascended saviors can do this. He is ascended. We just come and drink. So we stand to pray. Lord Jesus, would you please just bless as you will and help us in this, we pray. Bless us in this, we pray. In the name of Jesus.